Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome to our weekly Bible study. I'm Ken Baer, a pastor at Faith Dialogue here in Celebration, Florida. Uh, We're so glad that you joined us today. Today we'll be looking at the parable of the faithful and wise servant. It's in chapter 24. Um, As we near the end of our journey through the parables uh, that are taught by Jesus in the four Gospels. Uh, There's a total of 46 parables that I've identified. We're going through them one by one and we're down to the last three or four. Uh, These parables uh, were told by Jesus at the end of his ministry in what is known as the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse or Olivet Prophecy is one of the most quoted biblical passages uh, of Jesus in the entire Bible. It it speaks to to the end times. In order to understand the setting of this parable, we need to understand the setting of Jesus with his disciples at the very end of his ministry. All of the Olivet Discourse is a response by Jesus to his disciples who had remarked at the magnificent temple and the glory uh, of the temple. And then Jesus uh, gives them a response. And we see this at the very beginning of chapter 24 of Matthew, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So there are four parables that at the end of chapter 24 and the beginning of chapter 25, and all four of them are a response. All four of them are part of the answer that that Jesus gave to the question of when. When was he going to return? When would these things happen? And what was the the sign of his coming? This parable, the parable of the faithful and the wise servant, is the first. And then in the next few weeks, we'll visit the next three. And those three are the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then finally the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus answers these questions by the disciples and speaks specifically of his coming as well as the timing of his coming. He begins by telling them the things that the future generations will see. Jesus answered, this is verse 4, he says, Watch out, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines 
and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of the birth pains. Notice Jesus' first description of these end times, the signs that will accompany uh, the, the season uh, just prior to his return is deception. Deception is one of the key signs of the end of days. In preparing for this parable today, I, I did some research. I got on my computer and took my, looked at my Bible and I found 53 different verses speaking of the preponderance, the preponderance of deception in the last days. Maybe you haven't noticed the presence of deception today. Now, if you haven't, just think about the concept of fake news. What do you think fake news is? Fake news is just one indication, one example of what we know as deception. You know, there's, there's always been the opportunity for people to be deceived. Uh, we can go all the way back to the beginning, or as we say, in the beginning. The book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we see that the Satan comes disguised as a, a serpent and speaks to Eve. And what Satan does is typically what's done in deception. First of all, he gives her a little bit of truth. A little bit of truth and then a little bit of error. In the truth, he basically agrees with Eve that God said that she was not to eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. Uh, but then what Satan does is he questions God's motives. Satan said that God knew that if she ate of the fruit of the tree, then she, her eyes would be open and she would be just like God. This was the beginning of deception. Jesus and the Bible is clear that deception is all the big lie. And as we get closer and closer to the end times, to the second coming, we'll see more and more deception. Paul wrote to Timothy regarding the last days. And, and this is what he told Timothy. He said, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, they will be treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do with such people. I'd love to unpack those verses for you because they are chock full of all kinds of things that we see today. But the reason I'm quoting this is because of the very next line. Paul continues as he speaks to Timothy and he says, and evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. So deception is one of the first key indicators uh, of the end times. Secondly, Jesus continues and he says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in, in various places. The word that's translated nations is the word ethnos. The, wor the same word that we get words like ethnicities and ethnic groups. Certainly we see again that much of the rise of violence today hasn't been so much nation against nation, but here what the Bible says is ethnicities. And we've seen that. We've seen that in, in Russia. You have these various groups, uh, the Chechens and the Ukrainians and Aber Aber Aberjanis, um, ethnic groups that have 
armed conflict with each other, an armed conflict with, uh, with the Russian forces. In China, it isn't so much the ethnic groups because 96% of, of all of China are one nationality, but it's, but it's religious persecution. It's persecution against the Christians and against Muslims. Uh, in, in, um, in the United States, we see the flames of, of racial bigotry being, being fanned. Uh, what's look like looks like a race war. Uh, these people that want to deceive you are claiming that the U.S. is systemically racist. Now, this claim, the idea that this nation is broken, uh, that it's always been racist and evil, is is just simply untrue. Those that are trying to show you um, that it's uh, is they're part of a deception. They themselves are being deceived. But it's a part of a deception and includes much of what we see every single day in both national and international news. The U.S. has an amazing history of generosity and fairness and opportunities for everyone. We are a nation of immigrants. In this opening passage, note that Jesus said that all of these things, all of these things, the earthquakes, the wars, the rumors of wars, the famines, and, and all of these were, were what he calls birth pangs. Verse 7. So, so while I risk being insensitive and clueless, let me tell you all I know about birth pangs. You know, when my wife Carol was, was pregnant, uh, for the first seven or eight months there was actually uh, not much uh, radical change. The, the changes that she experienced in her body that we could see were, were gradually, gradually uh, they were relatively gradual. And they were not too difficult for her to, to handle. Really, I was there, I, I remember. You know, Carol continued working, we continued to see our friends, we continued to travel and enjoy. There wasn't much change, but then suddenly birth pains started. And from the time that the birth pains started to the time that we had a baby was a very, very short time compared to the nine months of pregnancy. It was only a short time after the birth pains that we had this beautiful baby girl. Jesus is telling us that many of these, these early signs, these disturbances, would not in themselves indicate anything in particular. However, when we started seeing them come in succession, when they started happening over and over and quickly and more quickly and, and coming on top of each other, then and only then would we soon be seeing what's called the, the culmination of everything. And, and Jesus was talking about his, his second coming. He was, he was answering the question that the disciples has, had asked. When are you returning? What will be the signs? We know this because Jesus says it, it very clearly in this chapter, beginning in verse 29. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be, will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Jesus is answering specifically the question that the apostles, his disciples asked. And then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn and they'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So what we're seeing um, at this time with the signs that we see is Jesus is, is setting the stage. We're just at the beginning because 
Uh, actually, we haven't even read this parable yet today. We need to understand, however, the context. The context is so important when we understand, we try to understand prophecy. The parables, Jesus said, are glimpses into the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that he spoke in parables so that we may understand them. And remember, these, are, these parables are, are metaphors. That's what they are. They, they speak of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but they are metaphors. So, so let's continue. And, and I'll read the parable beginning with the introduction where Jesus is talking about the specific event that the parable is referring to. It starts in, in chapter, verse 36 of, of chapter 24. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you did not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And now verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. And he will cut him in two and appoint, and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The best way to understand these words of Jesus is that the coming of Jesus, including the catching away of his faithful servants, is certain. It's going to happen. What we don't know is exactly when. Jesus, Jesus told us that we will see and understand the signs of the season. We'll see the signs not only in this parable and in this chapter of Matthew, but also the other parables. For example, the parable of the fig tree. We'll see Israel back in the land, which is one of the major indicators that the countdown to Jesus' return has begun. You know, I, I really like this, this word countdown. We, we live here in Florida, and, and we've seen in Florida the rebirth of the, of the shuttle launches, actually the, the, uh, the spacecraft launches from Cape Canaveral. Uh, every launch of a rocket is preceded by a, a countdown where anticipation grows with every tick of the countdown. So while the coming of Jesus is certain, Jesus is also clear that no one knows the day or the hour. That's understandable. If you just go back to the analogy I used about my wife's pregnancy and every pregnancy, the doctor will give you a, a due date. You can take that due date and you can circle it on the calendar and you can start counting down the days. But guess what? 
sometimes the baby has a mind of its own. No one really knows the day or the hour that a, the baby's going to be born. A baby often has a completely different idea uh, than what the doctor said was actually the due date. Jesus is saying the same thing and lets us know that even if we see and recognize the seasons, Jesus will suddenly appear. Look at verse 40 and Jesus tells us what it will be like in the day when he comes for his church. Verse 40, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. Verse 41 is just like it. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other one left. What Jesus is referring to here is called the appearing of Jesus. It's also called the rapture of the church. Not to be confused with the actual second coming, which, which happens later. In the appearing, Jesus comes for his church, for the people that know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There are a number of verses in the Bible that refers to this event, and I could quote a number of them. For simplicity's sake, I'm going to quote the most known one, and it's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These, these words that Paul uses that are translated as uh, catching away, to be caught up with the Lord. Uh, the Greek word that's, that's translated as to be caught up um, is the Greek word harpazo. It means to seize, to snatch, to be carried away. Uh, the word rapture is the Latin word that's translated from this same Greek word harpazo uh, that was used in the this word rapture was, was used in the Latin translation for, for nearly 1,300 years. You know, some say, well, the word rapture is in the Bible. Well, that's true, but it depends on which Bible translation you use, what, what language you're using. It's true only if you just look at the English Bible. The word caught away, that could also be translated raptured, is found 14 times in the New Testament. So when Jesus is talking about the two men, and one is taken and the other one is left, and the two women, and one is taken and one is left, All this event precedes the tribulation. Those that are alive in Christ will be caught up. They'll be caught up together and they'll meet those resurrected saints that have died before and they'll meet Christ in the air. So let's apply what we know to Jesus' words about the faithful and wise servant, the parable for today. Verse 45, it says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master made ruler over his household to give him them food in due season? Well, Jesus is telling us who can be the faithful and wise servant. Jesus is going to use the same terminology in one of our future parables, the last three. Jesus will say, 
in the parable of the talents, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but I want to be included in these wise and faithful servants. And that is what Jesus is going to tell us. Now, he tells it in a parable. And remember, I told you that a parable is a, is a metaphor. A metaphor is a story. It's a fictional story, and it has a primary moral lesson. It's a clue. Jesus is giving us a clue, a peek, at what it means to be the wise and faithful servant. All of the parables that Jesus teaches are, are metaphors. They are all designed to re reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But remember, they're, they're stories. They're fictional stories. They're metaphors, and, and they have a number of different elements to them, and all of them are not teaching us the same moral lesson. Now, this isn't really so hard to understand. Uh, most of us relate to children's stories. We've told children's stories. These are, these are fairy tales. They're, they're fanciful stories, animals that talk to us, beanstalks that grow into the clouds, giants that want to eat us, um, and, and even uh, geese or goose, a goose that lays a, a golden egg. They're all fantasy, but they also typically have a, a moral lesson. For example, the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Remember that story? You probably told it to your kids. You probably remember it from your childhood. It's a story that begins with wise advice to Little Red Riding Hood from her mother. Her, her mom prepares a basket for her and tells her, remember, go straight to Grandma's house. But Red detour, detours a little and ends up meeting a wolf and, and tells the wolf, I'm going to Grandma's house. Well, there's a great moral story that you need to be wary of danger. And then if you remember the end of the story, don't be deceived by appearances. Don't be deceived by things that look like your grandma but are really a wolf. At the same time, we don't try to create moral underpinnings to everything in the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, that would be silly. Uh, the color red doesn't mean anything in particular. Uh, the fact that the wolf ate the granny or the woodman was chopping wood. The moral of the story stands alone. Be careful of deception. Stay on the straight path. Another brief example, King Midas and the Golden Touch. I remember that story real well. Who ended up turning his own daughter into a, a golden statue. We don't have to assign equivalence to all the things that Midas touched or all the advice that was given to him. It's the pursuit of gold, the pursuit of riches, that can be very, very costly. That's the moral of the story. So let's get back to this parable of the faithful and wise servant of Jesus Christ. I spent some time talking about metaphors and fairy tales because it's so, understand, it's so important to understand that these parables are metaphors. Even though they're fictional stories, they, they provide glimpses and hints into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom the master made ruler over his household? to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Well, we see two things. The first is that the faithful and wise servant is the ruler of his household and gives them food. You know, Jesus is talking about responsibility here. I think, that, I think that's what it means. Have you noticed that some people are, are more responsible than others? You know, it's true. Those that learn responsibility early and learn responsibility well, they become leaders. In the case of this parable, they become rulers. 
in every marriage, we hope that one of the two people, I've done many, many marriages, many, many, and I, and I pray that one of the two, either the man or the woman, the, the bride or the groom, out of the two of them, one is, is responsible. Irresponsible adults have all kinds of problems. They have issues and typically aren't in the position to give food to others. Of course, Jesus is likely talking about spiritual food. If you remember Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, the disciples had left to go get some food and Jesus had some time and he sat down at the well and struck up this conversation with a Samaritan woman. And when the apostles came back, they wondered if he had, somebody had given him food. But Jesus was speaking of living water and spiritual food, all metaphors for the gospel and a relationship with God. In a very practical sense, even our, our jobs, even the tasks and the responsibilities that we find ourselves doing are, are actually wonderful blessings from God. It gives us purpose. It gives us significance. Those that are not faithful, they don't take their job seriously, uh, what are they like? Well, the next verse, Jesus explains what it means to be unfaithful. Matthew 24, 48, Bible, uh, Jesus says, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. You know, I remember being in grade school and every now and then the teacher would, would disappear. That she'd, she'd leave the, the classroom and tell us, now I'll be right back, just keep on working. Well, some took her seriously and diligently continued doing uh, the work that was assigned. Looking back, it seems like the girls in my class were a little bit more faithful, a little bit more diligent. Uh, the boys, and I was one of them, uh, often quickly got into trouble. And then, of course, the teacher would come back when we least expected it, right? and caught the boys acting up. Jesus says that the evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. You know, Jesus ascended into heaven nearly 2,000 years ago. That's a, that's a long time to be gone. At the same time, he expects that we will be responsible. We'll realize that we have, have work to do. We have a, a job to do, a talent a gift that he's given us that we need to be continue to be fruitful one of the ways that we can become unfaithful is when we begin to doubt what the bible clearly says about jesus return if we doubt that jesus will return we begin to doubt other things in the bible as well there are some that begin to doubt we saw this also with the people of israel no sooner had the people of Israel escaped from the Egyptians and seen the Red Sea swallow up all of Pharaoh's chariots, and Moses goes up the mountain to, to speak with God. But what do the people of Israel do? They know how long, no sooner is, is Moses up the mountain, but they call Aaron over and they ask him to build a, a golden calf, a, a golden idol that they can worship. Jesus says that the wise and faithful servant continues doing what he or she was told to do, what they're supposed to do, while the unfaithful begins to doubt that the master is even coming back. The apostle Peter spoke of this very thing. In fact, it's in the context of the second coming. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, most importantly, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come 
scoffing and following their own evil desires. Where is the promise of his coming? They will ask. Ever since our fathers fell asleep, everything continues as it has from the beginning of creation. This warning in 2 Peter actually fits well with today's parable. Notice that the evil servant still says, my master, my master has delayed his return. Now, that indicates that possibly this evil servant actually knew the master. I realize that there are many good men and women that have a different idea, a, a different theology about Christ's return. And I, and I believe that having the right theology about Christ's return is not, not essential to salvation, but it's a critical matter of faith. I'll add this, however, if you believe that Jesus is going to return, that his return could be at, at any time, you're going to act much more like the girls in my class. You're going to be diligent. You're going to be doing what you're supposed to be doing, knowing that Jesus could, Jesus' return could be at any time. Actually, the Bible theology that's talked is, is imminent. That Jesus' return is imminent. These girls in my class continued to work while the boys started acting up. In the parable, it says that those that thought the master wasn't coming started to beat their fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunkards. Uh, these are the foolish servants. Regardless of when Jesus returns, there will be a, a day of judgment. And the Bible says that all of us will be held responsible for every action we've done, every idle word that's said. We are, we're going to be held responsible for. It isn't so much the moment in time, it's the activity that we engage in. For Jesus, in other parables, he calls it uh, to be fruitful. Because to be unfruitful means that we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Earlier in the same Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is accused of, of violating the Sabbath. Because he healed a man. Why not? That's what the Pharisees typically did. They would, they would watch Jesus and see if they could catch him doing something that they could accuse him of doing something against the rules. Jesus, however, goes on and, and replies and starts talking about the kingdom of God. And then in the kingdom, there'll be people with good hearts and there'll be people with, with evil hearts. The good hearts produce good things and the evil hearts produce bad things. In other, in another place, Jesus said that our very words come out of the abundance of our of our heart. So, who is the wise and faithful servant? He and she, those of us that understand that we're we're privileged to know and to understand the one true God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are the wise and faithful servants when we we pay attention to the Scriptures and try to lead a life that's that's fruitful that provides others with spiritual food in, in due season. The wise and faithful servants know that heaven is our home and that Jesus is our Lord. While we haven't yet seen him, it's been 2,000 years, we shall. And when we see him, the Bible says that we will be like him. We'll be in resurrected bodies and we'll forever be with the Lord. All of those that are faithful that have gone with us will be with us as well. We'll all together be forever with the Lord. So who are the foolish? Well, those that perhaps have, have heard, maybe even those that have acknowledged that there's a God, 
a master in heaven, but they see no evidence that God rewards the faithful. No evidence that Jesus is returning. No evidence that there's any benefit to living a holy and productive life and being faithful. So as a result, they become foolish. Their hearts become hardened. They act as that no one can see their sin. They live in the flesh. They ignore the spirit. My friends, I want to clearly, I want to make this very, very clear. Jesus will return. Jesus is coming. I say that with all the authority that the Bible has. No one knows the day or the hour, but we see the signs. Now, it may be in our lifetime or maybe later, but it doesn't change the way we live. That's what this Bible parable is about. Just because the, the master is away, we need to be faithful. The Apostle Paul said it better than you or I could ever say it. The Apostle Paul, who I quoted earlier, that said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. The Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Those are the words of the good and the faithful servant. Amen. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.